you really have to kind of come into things understanding that you don't have all the answers and you have to really kind of depend on a team of folks to really come to derive the best answer and, and have that diversity of thought and, and promote that through and throughout the organization is very important when looking at things. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, everyone. This is David Wright, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this morning, I'm joined by John Jolico. John, how's it going? Very good. Very good. Honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's my pleasure. So, John, tell the listeners a little bit about your, your current role. So, yeah, I'll definitely I'll tell you a little bit about a history of myself to kind of put it in context. And uh, sort of jump in how I got into my current role uh, over sort of the course of time. But um, I was a software developer, computer science guy, database engineer in the 1990s, worked for two health IC startups during that time, also did some programming for mobile applications for NYU Langone Medical Center. Ended up loving that. At the same time, sort of exploring going to medical school and ended up going directly to medical school, then did formal training in um in internal medicine, and then followed that with the formal training in biomedical informatics. And that led me down a career of being uh, really a career chief medical information officer for a number of large organizations, including Bellevue Hospital in New York City, a, a, a large safety net hospital in Manhattan, uh, in New York City. And then I was director of informatics during large epic implementation during at NYU Langone Medical Center. And for the past 10 years, I was at Northwell Health, both the CMIO at at the two hospitals that started the health system, which was the North Shore Long Island Jewish Hospitals, two large 800-bed tertiary hospitals in Long Island that started the health system that was rebranded to Northwell Health in 2016, which eventually now becomes the largest healthcare provider in New York State. And this year, early this year, I actually left uh, Northwell after 15 total years with my residency and everything. And I joined Common Spirit Health, which is one of the largest healthcare providers in the country. Common Spirit Health. I'm the system-wide chief medical information officer. I'm part of the Physician Enterprise, which is um, the large medical group practice for our health system in that term. But um, we are looking sort of at things across our 146 hospitals in 22 states, affiliated and even employed physicians and providers around 25,000 providers 
and uh, 1,500 medical group practices across those 22 states. So it is definitely uh, sort of uh, what I was been doing on, on a much larger stage and uh, very excited to sort of uh, take that on uh, for Common Spirit Health and how we can provide systemness across the organization. Yeah, I mean, it's wild, wild to think about health systems like Common Spirit. I mean, the complexities in healthcare in general are, are so tremendous, but then multiply that times 10, yeah. and that's, that's Common Spirit, so. It's like I live this at Northwell Health and I live at Common Spirit. It's, it's the opportunity, it's getting harder and harder to be an operator in healthcare. Um, you know, whether you're running a hospital or running a medical group practice, the margins are getting slimmer and slimmer, resources are getting less. And I think the ability to sort of survive on your own and the ability to kind of create economies of scale as a large health system is really where the advantage is, is where you can kind of create that systemness, as we call it. So it's sort of the secret sauce of what makes it successful. And I remember, you know, in Northwell, um, early on, we would sort of take on as North Shore LIJ, the health system that grew in New York, in New York State over the past 20 years. It was early on, it was two large successful hospitals that joined together, but took on a lot of struggling hospitals that couldn't make it. And really that economies of scale for basic back office things, electronic health records and other things kind of made that, that opportunity for group purchasing and opportunity to negotiate contracts and stuff at a higher sort of, at a higher pace. But what we learned even later on was that the, the hospitals that last joined our health system, those were, were like two in Westchester, were healthy, financially healthy, high quality metric hospitals but really, you know, needed to join a larger organization to really help with contract negotiations and other things because it is hard to sort of float all on your own. And I think that you see that trend throughout the country is that there's very little sort of small ones, hospitals on their own and even small health systems. And the ability to do that across state lines in common spirit is just taking that to another level. How do you guys feel about like the competition element locally within communities and like being that that healthcare provider what's your experience with that well i think the one thing that's common spirit is you'll never see a common spirit branded hospital or or common spirit meta branded organization we're sort of the parent organization with a brand of brands per se but the one thing you will say is that in california you'll definitely know dignity health in colorado you'll know centura health in the pacific northwest uh, virginia mason franciscan health those brands are very important to sort of the local markets and understanding the local competition and understanding how we sort of exist for the front lines, for the people, for the patients, for the providers in that, in that, that are taking care of those patients. So every market in and of itself is definitely a um, different sort of animal. And I think that's why we divide ourselves into sort of seven different divisions per se that sort of manage things on that level, the divisional and then the market levels. It is interesting because even as you kind of look at things, I was always stuck in my New York state bubble or New York city bubble, I would even say, and that the opportunities are much different and the rules are even different in different states. You go to California, health systems are technically not allowed to employ physicians. There's different intricacies to what the competitive market looks like, what the payer mix looks like. In some markets, there are only a handful of payers that are sort of competing for each other. And that kind of creates different dynamics. So Understanding that and, and, you know, having more wins in some columns in some markets and, and others that help you balance that across the organization is also very helpful, where in some markets, you may have higher margins in some markets, you may have lower margins. And the learnings that you kind of take from that are, are very interesting. Great insights. Thank you for that, John. At this time, we like to, to learn a little bit more about, I mean, you're clearly a great leader. 
I mean, your doctor, CMIO, what's one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your life? And what was life like before learning it and after learning it? I think the most important learning that I try to teach, I I use myself and try to teach my team is to be humble, to really uh, not come in with all the answers and really understand that the healthcare system could be from an external piece, a mess. I mean, it could be an understanding of how many different solutions there are out there, um, an IT perspective, how many different competitors we have in a market or how, how things are sort of, how a quality improvement program came together. But there was a reason why it came together that way. And it wasn't because people, it was by happenstance. And I think respecting where things have been and where they need to go is, is really a major piece of it. So I think, you know, it's a very humbling experience when you kind of understand that. And the other thing is, I think, is sort of other learnings is that you really have to kind of come into things understanding that you don't have all the answers and you have to really kind of depend on a team of folks to really kind of come to derive the best answer and, and have that diversity of thought and, and promote that through and throughout the organization is very important when kind of looking at things. You know, for me, it's, I enjoy solving problems. I enjoy solving small problems and big problems. When I have one patient in front of me, I enjoy treating that one patient. When we're looking at cross populations, I love, I talk about taking care of a di- one diabetic patient in front of me. And then when I, I'm an informaticist or a healthcare IT leader, I'm taking care of hundreds or even thousands of diabetic patients all at once. And that's amazing. It really is. And I, you know, I love what you said about humility. I mean, the leaders that I admire most are humble, servant-based leadership. I mean, and really the environment that you're describing, that's an environment that fosters innovation, right? It's the sharing of ideas, the promotion of the folks that you hired to be subject matter experts in their arenas coming together and taking those risks in a controlled manner, failing fast, and then integrating that feedback. I mean, it's huge, especially now more than ever. I've personally been having conversations with more and more CMOs and CMIOs because the intersection of health and technology has never been more prominent. And having that understanding like yourself of being an MD and and being on that side of the table and then bringing that over to what you're doing now I yeah. think is, is invaluable. I mean, because with any type of IT or digital initiative, you know, the success of the project, the IT or, or digital could roll out the solution, like you said, and wow, this is a success. We implemented it. There were no major outages. But then if your partners, your, your physicians, your admins aren't leveraging the solution, like what was it all for, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think of course. enrolling those folks and integrating their vision into everything that you're doing is super crucial. As a CMIO looking after the EHR, someone always comes to you and says, well, we need another pop-up. We need another solution. We need another, we need another sort of trigger to get the physicians going or get the providers to understand something. And oftentimes it may be a little bit more sleight of hand or, or maybe better education or other tools that you have in your arsenal to really provide the proper decision support. Maybe it's providing a report that to another group of folks that are sort of helping providers or something to that effect. Maybe it's for the office staff to sort of manage. There are definitely sort of different solutions to sort of the same problem. And I think ultimately you want to, you want to concentrate on, again, that diversity of thought and, and having that understanding of how to really kind of you know, accomplish the goal, but maybe uh, in a nuanced way. Agreed. It's got to be custom per the system, especially like per the, the existing application stack, per the way operations are currently set up. 
needs to be very um, well thought out. So that, that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about Common Spirit. So you've been there a few months now. What's your vision for the organization? It's a tremendous organization. So my vision for my seat is really to kind of understand where we can improve systemness, as we call it, and really try to understand where we can provide tools to help folks on a, global, on a more global level. One of the things I think you and I have spoken about is sort of looking at our connection center strategy. Office with labor shortages, staffing shortages, and understanding of that, where could we provide things at a system level where we can actually consolidate things where calls can be managed outside the individual clinic offices or the you know, office practice where you can provide that insight and know how to do workflows around referral management, around nursing care, around scheduling of appointments and things of that sort. A lot of that has been traditionally done by the office staff. And I think that's one thing where I think on a system level, you can kind of create a really a call center, connection center strategy to really help an organization sort of progress much better and not and have people dedicated to the cause rather than someone who's, you know, doing patient care, trying to, you know, manage an office at the same time. So I mean, if you can offload those things much better, I think we're looking at other things to do that as well. Just came from a visit from our virtual hospital in Tacoma, where there's things like virtual telemetry. When you're looking at telemetry, classically, we have a telemetry check on every unit that has telemetry in, in a hospital. The, by centralizing that, A, you can centralize the expertise of that, those folks all in one location. They can definitely provide the right insight into that patient care telemetry and really have that proper communication back to the front lines, all done where someone's, you know, not just viewing 30 patients, but maybe viewing a larger, uh, with technology enablement, viewing a larger group of patients and be able to sort of provide the same level of service, again, offloading some of the resources that need to be at the individual hospitals. You'll see things like virtual sitter programs where we have one-on-one observations that are ultimately outside the four walls of the hospital, but it being have the ability to have eyes on patients being monitored by someone in a remote location. I think that's something we'll see in virtual nursing. I also sort of see uh, another sort of opportunity in common spirit is that we, we have 146 hospitals. We have a number of large tertiary quaternary care hospitals in that sort of epic, but a lot of them are critical access hospitals. How do you kind of get the care that we are delivering in tertiary quaternary care hospitals? How do you kind of get the care that we are delivering in tertiary quaternary care hospitals? How do we get that care to folks that otherwise would not have access to that care? How do we get clinical trials that are uh, opportunities for patients to get the best and best care where you're four miles away, 400 miles away from the nearest academic medical center where that clinical trial is happening? The ability to sort of decentralize things and bring things to the sort of places where they never really had the opportunities to have access to that care is definitely some of the, the inner workings of really what Common Spirit is all about, is really to kind of bring the best care to every sort of facet of life in this country and the communities that we care for. And that, that's something that you, you really kind of take for granted. But when you kind of look at it at some places where, you know, we're the only care in town, you want to provide that care. And the physicians in those practices also want to provide the best care and, and the best options for their patients as well, given that situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I got chills a little bit when you were talking about it, just because, I mean, I don't think about some of those more rural communities living in New York, but it, I mean, it, I was out in 
Ohio earlier this week and the wheels start turning. And I mean, it's great that Common Spirit is kind of leading the charge on trying to provide that level of care to communities well, that need well, it. Well, when you're in, in New York, you think of critical access as a Bellevue hospital or a county hospital in, in Long Island, a New Maker or something to that effect. Those are big couple hundred bed hospitals. They're not as small in any way. They usually have access to resources and they generally have academic partners that are very well seeing the patients in those four walls. But when you think of critical access in some other parts of the country, you're thinking about like small 10-bed hospitals that um, you have really a handful of physicians overseeing. The emergency room, the urgent care, the primary care clinic, and the maybe even intensive care unit all at once. And you know these are critical access hospitals that are, again, 10 beds, 20 beds in the middle of places where they don't have care for another, again, four or 500 miles away, crossing state lines and things like that. And small communities as well. And with technology, I think there's no reason why specialists or consultant that otherwise would not be accessible now through telemedicine can have access to the right care, can have access to the urologist that they need to see, have access to the, the specialized neurologist that they need to see. Or if you're having a stroke, the ability for you to kind of interact with the proper stroke neurologist, having them access to the right imaging, having them access to the patient, and really work with the frontline providers to provide the best care, the best specialized care when they're hundreds of miles away. It, it, the ability to do this in this day and age is, is a no-brainer. Agreed. We've been talking more. I mean, patient experience was one of the buzzwords started a number of years ago. We've been focusing on total experience, which is essentially a business strategy that integrates employee experience, customer experience, user experience and really multi-experience across multiple touch points to accelerate growth, drive greater customer employee confidence, satisfaction, loyalty, advocacy, through a, a, a kind of holistic management of the stakeholder experience. It's exactly that. So we actually touched on a couple of the challenges you guys are facing, but any, any other of the biggest challenges you guys are facing right now as an organization? I think the biggest challenge is, I think, in this sort of post-COVID world is really getting people a little bit more comfortable with their healthcare, understanding all of the things that you may have neglected, like your cancer screening and your breast cancer screening and other things. I think that that is sort of uh, at the crux of it. I think the understanding of getting patients back attenuated to some of the, the ongoing chronic disease management, ongoing cancer screening, all the things that we kind of put a blind eye to for the past couple of years in this sort of COVID world, I think there's a sort of a change in mindset of how patients want to have their health care as well. And I think we're toying with more opportunities to look at virtual care or maybe asynchronous care through our patient portals. And that the younger generations that are sort of more used to this, and even some of the older generations are sort of doing this in all other aspects of care. And how could we kind of introduce that to healthcare is something that we're a little late to the game for um, in health IT, but I think is definitely um, something that's top of mind as you're trying to really take care of populations of patients. I think there's also a larger eye to understanding, you know, value-based care and, and really looking at some of our relationships with payers and how we kind of really get appropriately paid for providing overall better care for our patients, avoiding large surgeries, avoiding um, big procedures, avoiding costing interventions. You know, those are things that I think uh, are definitely things that are top of mind in a healthcare, in a large healthcare system like ours. Yeah, I love that. That makes a lot of sense. 
How about best practices? What are, what are some of the best practices that one or two that you'd recommend as a, as a leader? Other than believing in your team is probably my best best practice um, is really kind of understanding that, like we said before, um, really that there's a lot of problems that we need to solve in healthcare. I think you have to really kind of look at things from different aspects. Work with some of your industry partners closely to be to create innovative ways to sort of approach things. Anything I do is really kind of understand the data, understand where you can do things. Um, that concept, that Deming concept of of you can, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it, really is tried and true. Uh, and you really have to truly understand how you're measuring it and how we can ultimately sort of have interventions to sort of impact the outcomes. I think that is very true. And in putting together disparate healthcare systems, hospitals, clinical groups, and things like that, sometimes it's not that easy to sort of look at the data and have it normalized across the organization to, to make those system-wide interventions. So that's a major sort of learning in really understanding it. At the crux, hundred percent. You know, when you when you were mentioning some of the challenges before and some of the solutions, you know, I forgot about this, but remembered as you were just talking. If I get an outreach from a health system and it's like you you have a screening, it's like an automated email, and it just went out to two hundred thousands of people, whatever. Oftentimes, I'll just ignore it. But if I got correspondence from my healthcare provider based on the data that they have on me. And it said, David, based on your hereditary predisposition to heart disease and your age, you should really get this screen. Then I say, oh shit, you know, that's, excuse my French, that's probably the right thing to do. And that, that I think can really move the needle on that. But being able to aggregate data and then have that correspondence go out, that's it's easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, I think EMRs, labs, and so on. It's like, how do you kind of do things on a global level, but kind of keep the high touch, personalized piece of it? I think that you have to sort of create that feeling for your patients and, and that bond to their providers. Because ultimately, I think as a physician, that's the sacred piece is that, you know, you're having that relationship with your provider trying to sort of say, hey, when, when they do give you a recommendation that it's something that you trust and something that you, you want to follow, I think is, is very important. Uh, as I kind of think it through, I mean, it's like you get a fraud alert from your banking, right? You take that seriously. You kind of jump on it. You try to think, oh, well, you know, was that something I did or not? And, and maybe, maybe maybe a false alarm. Maybe it's a it's a false positive or something you have to. But somehow or the other, you you take it seriously and you jump on it because you know it's it's good data. You know it's real. You know that they they it's something that you can really do something with. And I think it's it's actionable in some ways. Think of that like from your healthcare provider and saying, hey, David, we think you should be getting your colonoscopy. You're at the age where you should get your colonoscopy, or we just noticed something on your labs. Um, you want to get that, or you may want to just hear about everything is fine. And, you know, we just checked your labs from last week and everything is fine and everything can go on. Those are things that you kind of think about differently almost. You almost kind of say, you know, do you question whether you need that colonoscopy? I need more data about it or, or whatever else. It's like, and that is that trust factor of, of really understanding the importance or the, the level of understanding. How do you provide that insight at the appropriate level for the patients so that they make that decision appropriately, or you can guide them down the right path, to sort of the right decision? It was a couple of weeks ago, and I had to sort of get um, a, an MRI for my for my neck. And my mom, at the same time, had a, had a study done at, at a sleep lab in North Wales when I worked there. 
it all happened on, on a Thursday in the morning. I got my MRI, my mom got her sleep lab, whatever the case may be. Before the weekend, we got into the weekend. My mom just finished, came home from the sleep lab. And by that afternoon, I knew the results of my MRI that I didn't have to worry about, or maybe I needed to act upon just not in an emerging fashion. And I knew the results of my mom's sleep lab because I had a relationship with those physicians. I had a relationship with the radiologist. I, I had the ability to sort of check on things myself but I'm a physician and I work for the health system. But I kind of say, well, every patient should have that warm and fuzzy feeling after getting up some tests for you or your loved ones. Why do I get that, that service and why shouldn't everyone else? And it's not like we wanted to know the exact results of the MRI. We just wanted to, or the exact results of the lab, but we wanted to have that peace of mind going into the weekend saying, hey, everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. Follow up with your doctor next week or make an appointment for the office and you know, we'll, we'll follow up on next steps. Like those are the things that like patients want and the ability for us to sort of, again, maybe deliver that, that message uh, in a more asynchronous way without sort of waiting for the doctor to call, waiting by the phone. It's like, did the doctor call? Did the doctor call? You know, did you get the results of the MRI? What are we going to do? Like, that's what's worrying. That's what's plaguing folks. It's like the mammogram uh, for someone who has a, a family history of, of breast cancer, right? Well, it's, it's a daunting thing in the back of your mind. You know, yeah, I've been checked, I've been checked, but like, this is something I want to I just want to know everything's fine. I just want to know if, if I need to know what the next step is, but at least having not sleeping, putting your head in your pillow and, and having that. And the ability for us to do that is sometimes not easy, but, but it is, we have an ability to do that. And patients get a lot more comfortable understanding that, that interaction, I think is something we need to work on. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience with my mother-in-law has been an RN at uh while Cornell for like 25 years, my daughter was playing in the sprinklers. She went on the playground and she slipped and she fell on her foot. And we didn't know if it was sprained or not, but she couldn't put much weight on it. And my mother-in-law was like, you know, you got to go to the hospital. And she called the chief orthopedist of while Cornell. We got there, zoomed in, checked in. We were out of the ER in a, in a, in a few hours. And it was so seamless. And yeah, I, I had the same experience. Like, how do I create that experience for everyone? And in regard to the, the analytics, you know, the, the predictive analytics that can serve patients that and predict an early onset of sepsis or whatever it might be, that can also be effective for the, the health system itself. And in pre-built suites of AI models, being able to predict Yep. patient no-shows based on patient activity and other things that can really create those operational efficiencies within the hospital that can save money that then can be redirected towards serving the patient or serving more populations. I kind of see that, you know, I look more global decision support. We've developed models to help do predictions for mortality in the patient, but having those, those models sort of in place, but having guidelines for the nurses having guidelines for the physicians, the licensed providers to how they act on it. And in some ways, protocolizing that is key. I mean, we had an early warning scoring system uh, implemented in Northwell. We put a score in the banner of the patient while they're in the hospital. And we can almost predict mortality of a patient while they're in the hospital, but it cannot provide the right insight and guidance of what to do or as next steps for the providers. I think that's a, a whole nother podcast. I think we can probably have on, on early warning scoring and analytics and other things, but um, definitely uh, happy to jump in that uh, further into that, that discussion. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I'll look forward to that discussion. So we're coming up on, uh, on time here, John. So we like to end with a question. If you could go back in time, five or 10 years, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, enjoy your time with your loved ones. And it's probably one of the things that I think you probably, uh, time is something that you don't have unlimited amount of. And I think that's something you should probably uh, keep close account of. I think that's, uh, we don't do that enough. I probably say that today and I probably don't think it tomorrow, but I need to think that. You always think of that more. I get it. I mean, I, I had a life happening a few months back and it, and then I went to like, this huge meeting that I had been hyping up for months and it went great. But I realized in that moment that like, what's this all for, if not to spend time with my loved ones, right. And be with my family yep. and enjoy, enjoy this. Of course, of course. Great advice, Thanks. John. Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to future conversations. Thanks John and everyone else. Thanks for listening. We'll, catch you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.